today I'll be reading Romans 8, 1 through 4. So now, there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. A body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God has declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the spirit. And it a joy to work, join together in worship, church. I, I don't know, you know, there's, there's certain songs that we sing that just kind of, your hands can't sit still, can they? I mean, they kind of have to join in. Um, and, and Days of Elijah is one of these great songs, right? Y'all like the Days of Elijah? We sing it at camp a lot. Um, Behold, he comes, riding on the cloud, shining like stars, like the trumpet call. Behold, um, the next line is, lift your voice and sing, right? And, and it's kind of interesting that, that we do the whoo somewhere other than there, and we get to lift your voice and sing, and we forget the whoo. Woo. Very good. All right, so you got it. When you read these words, it should touch your heart. It should touch your innermost being. It should touch your mind, and it should make your body do something. Amen? Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There you go. Now we got it. I knew I could get some help from these guys. We are blessed, immeasurably blessed. We are a people who live on this side of the cross. Now, I would love to be the people who could say, and, and again, God's the only one who knows this. God knows when Jesus is coming back to make all things new. Hallelujah. And I would like to be one of the people who's alive on the day that that happens. And we watch the dead in Christ rise into new life. And we ourselves are changed from what is, is flesh leading to death into flesh that is glorified like Jesus is. But make no mistake, I am thankful to be on this side of the death, burial, and the resurrection. Because in Christ, for me, there is no condemnation. You may remember, those of you who are members here will remember two weeks ago when we told the before story. Romans chapter 7, in my opinion, in my interpretation, is a statement of a person who looks back on his life before Christ. Looks back on it from the perspective of Jews who were longing to keep, if I can get the law just all in my life regulated and everything right, check all the boxes off, I'll be good. And what they discovered, Paul, chief among them, he loves to use that first person, I couldn't do that. And if I can't do it, I guarantee you nobody else could do it. But it was also a word to Gentiles who had discovered this idea of the Jewish God and the idea that maybe we could put the, the, the lusts of the flesh, the passions of the flesh to death through following this, this orderly life that God laid out for them. Paul said, it can't lead to life. Until Jesus got here, it couldn't lead to life. Amen? That was the before picture. There's nobody better at the before and after than the Gaineses, right? They, they do the show you the house and, oh my goodness, isn't that ugly? And they love to particularly tear something up and say, oh, look at this terrible thing that we found, right? But when it's finished, 
and we have the big, what do we call it? The big reveal, and we open it up, and, and then, of course, somebody has to go, oh, like that, and somebody has to hug them and all that kind of stuff, and they laugh and they cry and all those kinds of things. It's about the before and the after. Before there was no power to overcome death, before there was an ability to align yourself with God, there was an ability to know what God wanted, there was an ability to define what it was to be people who followed God, but there was no power to move from death to life until Jesus came on the picture, and we are so thankful for Jesus. For us, the big reveal is our baptism. In chapter 6, Paul will say, all of us have been baptized, and it's really important that we include that next phrase. It's not that we've just sort of done some magic in the water, not some way in which we've said an incantation over the water. We join Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection, amen, in our baptism, and therefore join him in moving from death to life. Paul can move on from the, to the after picture of our lives, but he wants us to understand that something dramatically has changed when we invite Christ to our, to our life. It's not just the water of baptism, and it's not just the forgiveness of our sins. But what's that next phrase? It's the gift of the Holy Spirit. There is a powerful sense in which the story of creation, we might use the word the universe, the story of everything that we know is told with this one powerful hinge moment, a moment when everything changed. You may be in an industry that used to be very, very human uh, labor uh, intensive, right? There were people who were farmers who went out there with sacks and drug them along and picked cotton, picked corn, picked whatever it was, or a scythe and cut the wheat and then bundled it up all by hand. Now, where's Jerry Miller? Somebody needs to say amen. Now you get in a tractor, uh, uh, that, that a gleaner that is connected to a satellite, you press the go button, and it basically gathers it up. It's not quite that simple, but there was a hinge moment, right? Lots of labor, lots of mechanical. For you and I, we see the hinge moment in history when everything changed as Jesus' resurrection. Amen? That Jesus rose and that provides the hinge moment that defines the difference between the life of, the, of the, not just me individually, but of the universe. In total, in reality, chaos because of the rule of sin and death. Jesus' resurrection is the defining line from the rule of sin and death into the rule of the spirit and life. And we are so thankful. Our baptism is the part that we join in that change through our baptism. And we participate what changed when Jesus, you know, however you want to imagine it. Did the stone explode off? Did it just kind of roll away slowly? Or did Jesus say, out of my way? I don't know what it was. But it, it was apparently so orderly that he, or an angel or somebody, folded up his head cloth and left it there for folks to see. Something dramatically happened at that resurrection that changed the universe, changed the cosmos, changed everything that we understand and we know, both physical and spiritual. And we joined in that, that moment in history when Jesus was resurrected, our moment in history to join him is in our baptism. 
in chapter 7, the before was, all, was summarized by that verse, for I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Does that not sound helpless? And to a certain extent, we're, we're drawn to and, and can even kind of say, you know, I'm not sure that I don't always, I don't sometimes feel that way even on this side of my baptism. And what we wind up doing is we kind of define what the righteous life is and the goal of what we're supposed to be doing as here am I, I must be the good Christian. Don't we do that? If this is what I'm involved in, then that must still be good enough because I'm in Christ and I still have these little hang-ups that I've got. We define it that way. And so we can say, when Paul in chapter 7 writes, I, I, I want to do good, but I can't do it. Well, I agree with that. So it must be on this side of the baptism. Unfortunately, the life that we're called to is not defined by us. Amen? The life that we're called to is defined by Jesus Christ. And I have a feeling that in Jesus' life, there was not a single moment. I don't just have a feeling, I know. It is the proclamation of Scripture. That Jesus never said, I wanted to do something good today and I just couldn't help myself. I wound up doing something bad. Aren't we thankful that Jesus never said that? Amen? And here's what's happening. Here's the good news of Romans chapter 8, if you want to read it in its entirety. Is that there is an after, not only for Jesus... But there is an after for us. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ has set me free from the law of sin and death. You need to understand, and again, I, I ask forgiveness for those who haven't been part of this series with us all along. The idea of the law is not just the law of Moses, but in other words, a principle, a, a, a rule for life. The rule of sin and death is no longer in place on this side of the resurrection. On this side of our baptism, it is the rule of the Spirit. A life-giving force that Christ gives us. That as we are forgiven and emptied of our sins, we are not left empty. We are filled with that Holy Spirit. Somebody say, Amen. And, and what I want to proclaim to you is that whether or not you really sense the Spirit's filling is irrelevant. Because scripture tells us that God fills those who are united with Christ. Amen? And we point in scripture to the, the biblical norm for giving your life to Christ. For saying, I want to be with you in relationship as the waters of baptism. And the biblical testimony. My experience does not trump the biblical testimony. Amen? My experience needs to mold itself into what the Bible tells us to be about. And so just because you didn't say, whoo, I felt it, whoo, that was nice. The Spirit came, and we were blessed by it. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ has set you free from the law of sin and death. And skipping on down, we are children of God. There is almost nothing that we can hold up that makes as big a difference in our life than this moment that we decide to put our, hand, our lives in Jesus' hands. You say, that moment when I moved from inside the womb of my mother to outside of the womb of my mother might be a pretty pivotal moment. We can also say that I am looking forward to the day when I can throw this broken shell off and put on the new glorified body that Christ has for me. And somewhere between the birth and the death, I hope that every single one of you has decided to step into the waters of baptism. And even 
And in addition, let the Spirit come and fill your life. I want to read some background. Now that you've got that background, I want us to read the verses uh, from verses 5 through, I believe we're going to read through 13. So I invite you to open your Bibles or read along on the screen. Those who live according to the flesh have their mind set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their mind set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. I just want to take you all the way back to page one of the Bible. Can you go back with me to page one of the Bible? Right? You had this powerful choice, this test that was given to Adam and Eve. Here is the tree of life. How much do you want to eat? I don't know about anybody else, but when I start eating pineapple, it's kind of hard to get to the end of pineapple. I can get to the end of apple, but pineapple, I, can, I just can just keep eating all day long. My lips will get sore from eating pineapple. If you've never had sore lips from eating pineapple, you haven't eaten enough pineapple yet. He said, but here is this other tree, and its fruit, whatever that fruit may be, I kind of think like persimmon or something like that, really sour, right? That once you, it looks so good. Have you ever seen a persimmon on a tree? It looks absolutely gorgeous. And you bite into it and it's like, oh my goodness. They made a choice that day. They made a choice that said, I want to define what's right and wrong. I want to make the law, the rule, the principle for my life. I want to be the one that defines it. God said, I've got life over here. Please come and take it. And they said, no, we'd rather look for life on our own terms. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And by the way, that's not a question for those who have who've gone through the process of saying, I want... Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection to apply to me through the waters of baptism. If anyone does not have the Spirit, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, that is to say, there is still a part of us that is human flesh and is still influenced by that, that way that sin brings about decay and death, that even though your body may be that way, even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. I want to be sure you understand here, this is not about you being right enough. It is about Jesus being right. Amen? Spirit gives life because of righteousness in the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead. I want you to hear this. The Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead. Do you believe in the Do you believe in the resurrection? It's not a, a myth. It's not a fairy tale. It is a real, true, it is greater than history historical moment. Amen? If you believe in that, the power that was at work in the resurrection of Jesus is the power that wants to be at work in your life. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, 
He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation. We have in chapter 6, it was called, you're no longer slaves to sin, you are slaves to righteousness, to God. Here he says, therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation. But it is not to the flesh to live according to it. It is not to that tree where we say we get to define good and evil. It is to the tree of life. Amen? We have an obligation to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. So what is this law, this principle, this rule of the Spirit? What is it that makes us people who acknowledge the reality that, that at my baptism I was filled with God's Spirit, the same Spirit that was worked and when Jesus was resurrected? What is it about that that helps me to find a new rule for life? First of all, I can never live to earn what Jesus has done for me. Amen? I want you to follow me in this. Whatever your list of things to do right is, it will never earn what Jesus has already done for you. Okay? Secondly, I can't earn it, but next I'm living in response to what he has accomplished in me. I want you to hear the difference between these two things. There was a time when Paul describes in chapter 7 in such incredible detail where we, where we work and we work and we work and we say, God, I know that you want me to put this straight in my life. I know you want me to not listen to that kind of music. I know that you want me to not with those, go with the, hang around with those kind of people. And I know you don't want those substances to have an impact on my life. And so I'm going to get it all right. I'm going to get it all right, God. Problem is... Every time we think we check one box off, where do we wind up? We probably wind up with another box that we can't seem to point our, get ourselves a hold of. And when you live that way, you are living, still living, you are still letting the sin and death that was part of the world before the resurrection and has been disposed of by Jesus' resurrection and which you have put behind you in your baptism... You've put it away. Instead, I get to say, God, thank you. Thank you for the life that you have given me. Thank you that I can live not worried so much about don't, don't, don't. But I get to live a whole lot more do, do, do. Somewhere Jesus said, I'm not sure, maybe you can remember. Somebody, somebody asked Jesus, what is it to, to live the way God wants you to live? What is, and they would say, the greatest commandment. What's the greatest rule? What's the greatest law? And Jesus answered, not don't, not don't, not don't. What did Jesus answer? Do. Say it with me. Come on, Preston. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He said, secondly, that if you want to really do that in a, in a relationship with a person, you love your neighbor as yourself. I can just about guarantee you, if those become the focus of this new life you have, this response of thanksgiving to God, you will find 
that the don'ts will tend to sort of take care of themselves. Amen? Next, this greatest reality of all. I am not working alone. I can't earn what Jesus has done. I want to live in response to what he's already accomplished in my life. And third, I am not working alone. There is no sense in which I have to face this thing by myself. First of all, I have the assurance that God who created the universe kind of knows what's going on in the world. He is not absent from it. Amen? Secondly, I have the truth that if the resurrection is real, and you affirmed that already, then the life of Jesus is real. He lived it. He knows what the dust feels like. He knows what the good times feel like. He knows what it is to stub his toe. There are very few things as painful as that, right? You just you're wearing those sandals, walking along, hit that rock, tears that skin off, right? What are you going to do with that? He didn't have a pair of shoes to put on. He just had to clean it up and go with it, right? We are not working alone. And when he left this world, it's just amazing to kind of watch the process of the church becoming aware of how the Spirit was going to work with it. And as the writers of the New Testament kind of unfolded this idea of the Holy Spirit living in you, the Spirit poured out on the day of Pentecost in that most unique kind of way, Spirit that also poured itself out to make sure that the church knew that Gentiles would be included, but a Spirit that is in work in every one of us. We are not working alone. And finally, I have the Spirit of God partnering with me to be what He wants me to be. Now, I want to be sure and say, this is not about, God, do you want me to be an astronaut or do you want me to be a fireman? Do you want me to be a nurse or do you want me to be a school teacher? What, have, what are those kinds of things? By the way, He says to all those questions, what does He say? Yes! Go! But mostly, what he wants to do is teach you how to walk every single day in a way that is in submission to and walking in his love and being a source of that love to the entire world. Amen? And the Spirit of God wants to partner with us so that we can accomplish that. I, want to give you, I gave you four ideas. I want to give you four applications very quickly. The life and law of the Spirit. Now, I want to remind you again, you helped me quote this. When Jesus said, what is the law, the rule, the principle by which we need to live under? He said, love the Lord your God with all your... Right? Heart. Seek the Spirit and let the Spirit have control of the direction of your life. Where am I going and what am I doing? It's not about which college. It's not about whether I'm going to go into the military or go somewhere else, get a job, whatever it is. The direction of my life is I want to be pleasing to God. And when I do that, the heart says, that's the attitude that I want to live with. Secondly, don't be satisfied, soul by the way, don't be satisfied with having some of the Spirit be filled. Have you ever prayed this prayer? Spirit come. This is not a statement of I don't have you, it is I want more of you. Spirit come. Spirit, come into my life. Spirit, fill up my prayers. Spirit, fill up my study in the Word of God. 
I remember going to school, and I remember high school, and there being days where you'd pull up in the truck, and you'd stop, and you knew that you were just about to enter into a place that really wasn't in favor of you being for God. I have a feeling that when I was there, it really doesn't, it's just kind of a shadow of what you're experiencing. But it's also true in every one of the roles that you fill in life. Satan would always rather pull you into death than sin. And so it is that you need to say, Spirit, come. Wouldn't be the worst thing to say when you put it in park. And before the door goes open, to say, Spirit, come. I want you. I need you. Please fill me. And in doing so, he will invade the most intimate parts of your life. What we might call the soul. Heart, soul, mind. Are you surrounding yourself with and taking in the things of the Spirit? As long as the stuff that the world says is louder than the stuff that the Spirit says, you've got a real battle on your hands. And you're going to have to work because the world is everywhere. Amen? I think, by the way, high school probably wasn't as much a challenge for me as it was for you. But I also know you have so many more sources. Oh, it's down there. That little smartphone can be a really terrible thing. But if you get an app that has a Bible reading or an app that is, has an inspiration or maybe you, you've picked the, your favorite worship song that you want to play and you all run around with those little earbud things in all the time. Mine are called hearing aids. They, they're pretty wonderful. <laughs> and they're invisible. <laughs> um, you have the opportunity to fill up that space. And in doing so, you let your mind absorb those things that can so powerfully lead you in that direction. Finally, strength. We talk so much about how easy it is to involve ourselves into sin. My question would be, is what am I doing today to practice spirit? Who am I going to talk to today? Probably the world would say, what in the world would you ever want to do with those kind of people? But I'm going to choose to talk to them, right? Because the Spirit says, I should love even my enemy, or I should love those people that can't bring any benefit to me. Have you practiced? Have you practiced deciding that today you're going to take that last dollar in your, in your wallet, and you're going to encounter somebody somewhere that's going to need. An extra dollar may not solve all their problems, but have you ever had somebody come up to the counter and say, I'm going to pay for whatever, right? And it's, and it's just, it's, oh! And maybe you can be somebody who can give a dollar to help somebody. You see, for the Spirit to fill up our strength, is not going to happen passively. We partner with the Spirit to say, I want to do something that's good. You know, all those folks are going to come up to this one person and they're going to deride him and abuse him or her and bully them. And I'm going to figure out a way to say something encouraging. I'm going to practice the things of the Spirit. 
But this is not where Paul ends the discussion of how we move from death to life, how we move from the, af- from the before to the after. I want to pick up in verse 14 and close out very quickly. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are not just filled up with the Spirit. They are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves, that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by Him we cry. Can you say it with me? Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs. Co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. Do you hear those words? Do you hear those words? The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And we get to say to God, Abba, Daddy. Father. See, this is not just about whose side are you going to be on. This is about whose child you're going to be on. Whose child are you going to be? And I am thankful that God has chosen to adopt me as one of his children. It's kind of an interesting thing. This doesn't go on here. But legally, in the time that Paul wrote this, if you were adopted as a child, not only did you reap the inheritance of the child, but you were also freed from any debts that came with the old family. It's actually one of the main things that would often happen with a child who was adopted was the idea that they would no longer be responsible for the family debt. They would be. The price for sin has been paid. Amen? Jesus paid it on the cross, and we are invited to be heirs, co-heirs, children, of God. If we are children, then we are heirs. That's the invitation. Who do you want to call daddy? You can call the world daddy and say, I want to be part of the world, and man, it's just so much fun, and we're just just rocking and rolling out here, and no problems whatsoever. We just can live for ourselves and put everybody else down, and that will lead straight to death. Or we can say, Father, Abba, God. And he wants you to come. Today, my words are not my own. They're the words of God. Come, be a child of God. If you're online and would like to join in a conversation about that idea, the number is there, 979-217-3300. Please send us a message. It'll start a conversation. If you want to start that conversation today, you can. I know that somebody's coming. We're going to talk about somebody who's a child of a family that we want to become a child of God, and we're going to pray over them. If we can help you in any other way, why don't you come as we stand and as we sing.